Pray with me if you would. Father, it's in the sweet name of Jesus that we pause to say thank you. God, I've done what I know to do in research and study, but without your anointing, I'm just making some noise. And so, God, I ask you to hide me behind your cross, that these, your servants, sons and daughters, would see none of me but all of thee, and that your word would fall on good ground. This is our prayer. In the strong name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Let me get some formalities out of the way. Happy clergy month to all of the clergy members in the room. I want us to also notice and pay attention to our friends, our family members, co-workers, and associates this month as we acknowledge Domestic and Sexual Violence Awareness Month and Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so I'm especially excited tonight because my sister is here, who is a two-time breast cancer survivor. And so I put on pink without her knowing that she, that, without knowing that she was even coming this evening. So thank you, Joy, for being here. Also a notice on Friday, October the 21st, Richmond Hill will go pink to show our support for breast cancer survivors. Now let me get back to the assignment that I was sent here to do. I want to tag as a topic to this message, I am the least of these, but there's some grace abound. I'm sure one of you, some of you are asking why my message is about grace when it was not mentioned anywhere in either one of those texts. Let me confess on the front end, I don't know enough about grace to be able to make a definitive statement, but I do what I do know beyond a reasonable doubt is, had it not been for the grace of God in my life, I would be a hot, stinking mess. I'm living proof of what, what the grace and mercies of God can do. The ESV translation of 1 Corinthians 15 and 10 tells us, by the, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. And so in the Lisa translation for these texts is, except for the grace of God, there go I, I would be completely lost. I've been wrestling with the comparison and connection of these two texts for a few weeks now. I started talking to Katie last week about it when we had about 15 other things that we should have been talking about. I'm trying to work out this, this sermon with my co-pastor. <laughs> And she's asking wonderful questions. Lisa, what do you want to say about grace? And if if you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, know that grace always abounds. It's always present. And it's always looking for us to make sure we know the love of God. I've wrestled in ways, the ways in which the grace and redemption might be demonstrated and or achieved in each one of these, these texts. But I want you all to know I have not settled on any one position. No, I'm not schizophrenic. But I could not settle on any one particular position other than to say I know that we've been called to be our brothers and sisters keepers. Don't worry, as you care for others, God will send those who will care for you. Tonight I'm inviting you all into this wrestle with me because there has been a total misalignment of power and resources in our society, especially when we look at the Isaiah and Matthew text in tandem. The misappropriation of power and resources has caused traumatic wounding experiences in our community and yet caused others to flourish. 
How do we reconcile in our hearts and minds that millions of dollars are poured into game shows, into athletics, into the rich getting richer, while people go hungry and homeless in our communities? How do we reconcile that many seniors have to choose between medicine and food because of the wealth gap that we live in? How do we settle with the fact that children are living in what is called deep poverty and people are dumpster diving just for a meal as folks play with their folly and go to the moon or out into outer space just for the day? How do we not see the traumatic side of this? In the introduction of Serene Jones's book entitled Trauma and Grace, she talks about the long-term effects of collective violence on abuse survivors, war veterans, and marginalized populations. I want to add to her list the working poor, women and children who are often left behind, left out, and put out of places where people are uncomfortable with their presence. She spoke of a person's capacity to know, to remember, to act, and to love, and how those various circumstances potentially challenge theological understandings of how grace is experienced, how Jesus' death is experienced, and how the ethical character of Christian practice is assessed. I know it seems like a heavy message, but I, I know you all are with me. Peter Levine says that trauma is not what happened to us but what remains unprocessed within because of the absence of an empathic witness. Just in case you want a demonstration of empathic witness, Gabby Gifford, the congresswoman in Arizona who was shot in her head, was stayed with by a guy named Daniel Hernandez who has been credited with helping Gifford to stay alive as she was, after she was shot in her head. He said, when I heard the gunshots, my first instinct was to head toward the congresswoman to make sure she was okay. Research has been done to prove that when you have an empathic witness, somebody who stays in the journey with you until you reach your destination, your chances of survival are better. And so we need an empathic witness in this place. This is a, just a question, not a judgment, What's your staying power when you are in, in concert or in the presence of somebody who, is, who has been traumatized? How well do you stay with people or do they get on your nerves after a little while? Maybe I'm not talking about y'all, I might be talking about me. This is just a question. How do you care for those who have or are experiencing trauma? Because sometimes trauma is heavy for people who have not been cut out from that cloth to walk with people who have traumatic wounding experiences. I love when you all have questions. I, I heard you ask, oh, how do you do it, Lisa? I, I want you to remember that trauma is in the nervous system. It's not in the event. Let that sit there for a minute. It's in the nervous system. I got some clinicians sitting right here, am I correct? Trauma is in the nervous system, not in the event. It happens when experience stuns us like a boat out of the blue. It overwhelms us, leaving us altered and disconnected from our bodies. Any coping mechanisms we may have had are undermined and we feel utterly helpless and hopeless. It's as if our legs were knocked out from under us. 
Peter Levine says in Trauma Through a Child's Eyes, that all trauma creates a cycle of pain because the trauma of yesterday settles into the souls and stay there. Trauma cannot be wished away or forgotten, but I want to add, except we have an empathic witness to journey through the process with us. I really appreciate Serene Jones's approach to this difficult but critical subject of trauma and grace because it has been a passion of mine for almost 15 years now. And the question remains for me even after 15 years of this work. How do people whose hearts and minds have been wounded by mistreatment, violence, biases, or feelings of isolation, how do they really come to feel and, uh, feel and know God and know what God's grace means for them? When your faculties have been disabled because of someone else's ill treatment, we are called in this place to be the healing power that demonstrate God's grace so that uh, survivors of any type can see the love of God through the people of God in this place we call Richmond Hill. That's another sermon for another day. We live in a world that is profoundly broken by violence and flawed by harms we inflict upon each other. But Isaiah 58, I know y'all were waiting on me to get back to the text. Isaiah 58 reminds us that we are the repairers of the breach, all of the breaches, through the racist behaviors, all of the breaches made through redlining and housing inequities, all of the breaches made through the injustices in health care, especially as it relates to a woman's health care, all of the breaches in our relationships, in our political chaos, our educational institutions, our economical, environmental, and governmental systems. Reverend Lindsay told us last week that we've got to change these systems or we're going to become undone. But in order for that to happen, it is going to require an unbelievable letting go. You asked letting go of what, Lisa? There has to be, as Romans 12 says, a renewing of the mind. In Blind Spot, um, Benaji and Greenwald says, our minds have been shaped by the culture around us. In fact, they have been invaded by it. Can you imagine the difference between how we think and how five-year-olds are gonna think? We don't have to go to the five-year-olds. We got some babies in here. What is Phoebe, how is Phoebe going to see the world as a three-year-old compared to how we see it as a 60-year-old? When our mind is shaped by our culture, we have to be careful about what our children are exposed to. For us to dismantle these systems that are in place is going to take an incredible letting go of the advantages, privileges, and opportunities that only a small portion of the human population benefits from. It's going to take an incredible letting go of our thoughts and attitudes that there must be a hierarchy for us to survive in this world. There has to be an astonishing letting go of visions of perceived power and the need to control other human beings. And there has to be an equal, if not more consistent, offering of love and acceptance of individuals who may not look like, act like, think like, or behave like us as we serve as an extension of God's grace in this broken world. We all have longings. We all want to be loved, feel secure, understood, feel significant, have a sense of purpose, and to be accepted. 
When these longings are not met, it creates a traumatic wounding experience for all of us. So this is another question. Why is the church a part of the dysfunction that requires people to perform and to please others? Even to the point of neglecting themselves. How do we as believers change these systems that are in place that go totally against what Isaiah's text suggests? We do so by surrendering our plans and our agendas to our God who loves this world and desires that suffering be met by hope, love, and grace. COVID, racism, mass murders, voter suppression, and injustices on women's women's health care have all been traumatic experiences for the last two and a half years. It's what we call event trauma. There are things that have caused us to change the way we see God, each other, and sometimes ourselves. All of these experiences or instances of trauma have challenged our sense of safety and of our orderly life. The racism is not new. It's been perpetual for over 400 years now. It has gotten bolder and more aggressive in the last few years, but I repeat, it's not new. So how do we help our brothers and sisters who have been traumatized come to experience the loving power found in God's grace? I'm glad you asked. One of my favorite Martin Luther King quotes say, we can live together as sisters and brothers, or we can perish together as fools. I could sit down right now, because that's the summation of Isaiah and Matthew. As I wrestled with the text, I thought about Jeremiah 8 and 21, where I'm grateful to know that God feels the hurt of his people. Jeremiah, using his prophetic voice, declared these words from the Lord, I weep for the hurt of my people. I'm stunned and silent, mute with grief. So we help our sister and brothers to change the situation by doing what Dr. King said later in that message. We stand firm, clinging to hope. And so how do we demonstrate the grace of God? Isaiah laid it out plain and simple for us. We are to share our food with the hungry. We are to loose the chains of the oppressed, the injustices, and we are to untie the cords of the yoke. We are to set oppressed, the oppressed free and break every burden. If your sister or brother is carrying a burden, you're supposed to come alongside them like David Hernandez did with Gabby Gifford and stay with them until they get through their situation. How do we become change agents and bring about healing for everyone to experience God's grace? We make sure we are inclusive, not requiring people to assimilate to our comfort zone, but instead extending ourselves to become more familiar with the places and people that have been subject to our whims and ways, and, and yet they have remained marginalized because of those behaviors. There's a clear call to social justice in Isaiah 58 verses six and seven. It's a call to heal as we are changing inwardly. And there's a clear call that when we take off, when we take care of the outcasts, the widows and the children, we are taking care of the least of these. As I close and take my seat, I remind you, there's an empathic witness who is waiting to help you process any trauma you have ever experienced. We call him Jesus. He's empowered others to serve as empathic witnesses in the earth realm to journey with us and to speak God's truth over our life. 
so that we might experience the rich reward of God's grace. And so what's the truth about grace? It's never ending. What do I know about grace? That you don't have to be perfect or be able to perform to receive it. It's a free gift from God. Grace can be variously defined as God's favor toward the unworthy or God's benevolence on the undeserving. In his grace, God is willing to forgive us and bless us abundantly in spite of us. So as we serve as God's people in the earth realm, may we be reminded of the oppressed, the marginalized, those who have been cast aside and those who don't know that they are already enough. The good news is God gives us the Holy Spirit as a companion as we journey. In John 16, 13, the scripture says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he or she will guide you into all truth. As we wrestle to find our truth, as we grapple with the reality of our pain, the Holy Spirit is here present with us, giving us wisdom, strength, and courage to press through as we discover who the Lord says that we are. I encourage you to remember the fact that there was a day when you needed the grace of God also. There was a day when you may have been the least of these. It might not have been economics, but there, there are times when we are all the least of these. I encourage you to remember, to reflect, to recall every time you have received the grace of God and when others were graceful with you. I encourage you to go and do likewise. Amen.